Oh my god. all you movie junkies and cinephiles it's time for the sls cast with your hosts matt and tim and welcome one and all to episode 275 of the sls cast yes ladies and gentlemen this is the dragonfly invasion of metropolis episode of the sls cast because it turns out that uh the 275th issue in the original volume one of Superman is actually called The Dragonfly Invasion of Metropolis. And with that wonderful little bit of historic Superman comic knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from across the room is part two of Tim in Texas. Across the room, more like across to TV dinner trays. Something like that. Do you have a, a a bottle opener? I do. It's on the side of the fridge there. Oh, cool. And we may even get a name out of him here officially. Tim. <laughs> yes. So uh, as soon as Tim returns from his uh, adventures in the kitchen, did you find it? Should be on the side of the fridge. Ah, Tim. Tim. My name's Tim. Yeah, okay. And I guess he did find the bottle opener, so there's that. I'm going to leave the plastic, the paper bag on it. The yes, bag. Make yeah. Make it very shady. No, I, I understand. It's okay. I, I just feel bad. I, if I had known you were going to just leave it sitting in there for the whole first episode, I'd have told you to put it in the fridge. No, it's okay. I, I like my Coronas uh, about this temperature. Uh, Texas rough, house temperature, rough, roughly room temperature, roughly room temperature, which is good, which is good, and it is very humid outside. And I actually prefer this inside temperature than the inside temperature in California. Interesting, because out to go outside, man, it's it's fucking you know, like you you really appreciate the inside temperature after coming in from being outside because it's it's april and it's humid as as hell yes. that's hawaii temperature out there almost oh yeah give I or take 80 percent humidity but you know no I, I i understand i definitely understand i i however just like being inside now when i was growing up i used to say heat and humidity were my friends but they they've since turned on me and now i hate them so i only live here because i don't have a job somewhere else yet so, <laughs> yay, yay, Houston. Maybe you should be drinking from the brown paper sack. Maybe. Well, and in and, all fairness and a full disclosure, uh, Tim did bring me a, uh, a, a one to share. Also, paper sack bound and everything. But unfortunately, I have things that I must do after recording. Uh, and I must have full control of my faculties. We, we, don't, we don't want a repeat of Christmas time. So we, we, we want to avoid that. Flashback. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, yeah, so we're gonna, we're, we're just gonna go from there. Um, so yeah, so this week's episode is gonna be a little bit uh, truncated because we are only going to be focusing on one movie. And that movie 
Well, I guess we should at least put a semblance of doing it right. We ready to do the movies? Oh yes, the movie! Here we go, folks, it's... The Movies! A movie! <laughs> A movie! And that movie is Ready Player One. Uh, and in our ever-increasing uh, ability to have uh, things planned out ahead of time, is there going to be a trailer? <laughs> a trailer for this? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't think the trailer... It seems like most of the trailers are music. Yes, there's not a whole oh. lot yeah. going on. Yeah. In that. So we'll just say no, then. My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego. Like Peter Parker or... Bruce Banner, but he died when I was a kid, my mom too, and I ended up here, sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go, nowhere, except the Oasis, a whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. They stay because of all the things they can be. Can you feel this? Um, yeah. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. The Oasis was the brainchild of James Halliday. Hello, if you're watching this, I'm dead. I created a hidden object, an Easter egg. The first person to find the egg will inherit half a trillion dollars and total control of the Oasis itself. Who is this Parzable, and how the hell is he winning? Find him. This isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis, the world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war for control of the future. Welcome to the rebellion, Wade. Like many of you, I only came here to escape. But I found something much bigger than just myself. Are you willing to fight? Help us save the Oasis. Ready Player One is a 2018 American science fiction adventure film. It's produced and directed by Steven Spielberg uh, and is based on Ernest Cline's 2011 novel of the same name. Film stars Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cooke, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, Lena Waithe, Simon Pegg, Hannah John. Kamen and Mark Rylance. So the movie is basically set in 2045. Uh, humanity is pretty much slightly dystopian, but at the same time, it's it's dystopian by choice and not necessarily circumstance. People have retreated entirely into a VR world known as the Oasis. So outside of things like they refer into the movie, out, basically outside of needing to eat and go to the bathroom, most everybody just exists in some form or fashion in the Oasis. And we have a young guy by the name of Wade Watts, who is what is referred to as a gunter in the film, short for egg hunter. He is <laughs> looking for... Yeah, that's, uh, you know... Is that real? Like, is that... From the book, oh yeah. Well, no, I mean, are, are there real gunters now? Oh, I have no idea. 
I mean, I, I suppose East, if you're an Easter egg hunter of some form or fashion, I guess you could call yourself a hunter. <laughs> I don't know. They do now. Yeah, they, yep, they do now. Yeah. A, but at any rate, uh, yeah, so in the world of the Oasis, the guy, one of the creators of the Oasis left his controlling stake of the Oasis and uh, a whole bunch of money in the, co- in the corporation or whatever that runs the Oasis he left it as an Easter egg inside the Oasis. And um, everybody in the world naturally wanted to, to wanted a chance to win it. Well, it's been five years since this guy passed away and left his Easter egg in the game. And so not a lot of people are left. Uh, but Wade Watts is one of them. Uh, the other primary antagonist here is the IOI Corporation. Innovative... Something or other. I can't really remember the name. Operating of. Institute? In- innovative Opulence? Yeah. Incremental? Yeah, something like that. I'm, I'm not, yeah. But, Incremental um, Omnipresent? Incorporation? I, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, innovative Online Industries. There we go. We were way off. I knew I would find it eventually. <laughs> yeah, so Innovative Online Industries uh, is the evil corporation. And they, of course are like the Viacom or the Comcast of the world. And so if they can control, if they can, of course, obtain the egg, they will control the entire Oasis. That is why they are using every corporate resource they have to find said Easter egg. So basically, Wade is adventuring and he has his friends in the Oasis. One of them is this female avatar known as Artemis who Wade clearly has a crush on. Wade ends up with the first key, and now the race is on to get the remaining keys and unlock the Easter egg, and shenanigans ensue, etc., etc. All right, so... Should we say just spoiler alert? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, there's not really a way to give this. And if you want... um, Here, we'll just give our scores real quick and then go into the Let's say it at the same time. What? Okay. One. Well, three, two, one, go. Three. Three. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a three across the board, ladies and gentlemen. I I knew we were safe because I happened to see it when you had your thing up. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. I forgot I had the spreadsheet there. So, um, By thing, I mean his penis. Well, he had it written on his penis. Yes, my sp- I call my penis my spreadsheet. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know how can we how can we uh, loot that into Bobby Cannavale from last week? Oh last my episode. gosh, <laughs> the spreadsheet and the funky tasting spunk. I don't know. <laughs> or the funky tasting spunk meets the spreadsheet. Yeah, so there you go. Three across the board. We go into spoiler territory now. All right, so basically what we have here is... How did they say his name? Uh, H? Yeah, H. H. All right, so what we have here is a complete reimagining from the book. All right? I did the book, audio book version, about two years ago, I guess. And... Like most people at the time, I was like, wow, the movie would make a, uh, or the book would make a great movie, but there's just no way you could get all the licensing you'd need to, to make this movie happen as it stands in the book. So I think what they did from, which is fun because the, the heart and soul of this movie is living your life and having an existence 
and incorporating that life into something meaningful and not just corporate domination of everything. And I think it's kind of interesting that the whole aspect of the movie very, very is very obvious in terms of the book that they went from the corporatized aspect first. Because what they did was they went and found all the licenses they could get and then worked back to incorporate said licenses into the plot so that they could then tell a new story. Mm -hmm. Because outside of Wade Watts, you know, Oasis, Easter Egg, Wade Watts ultimately gets Easter Egg and beats Evil Corporation, this movie has virtually no ties to the book. It is a complete different experience. Then, in The Shining? Is The Shining still no, in? No, there's no Shining. No, the Shining makes no... There's nothing in The Shining. No. Really? Shining makes no appearance in the... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah. So... so and, and for instance, like the first... Like the first key is basically Wade is at school and goes to uh, an instanced planet that he can access from school because he's poor. And so he doesn't have good stuff. And they also differentiate from players who have the moving track pads and stuff versus people who don't. Because you can still interact with the Oasis without being on those little moving track pads. Yeah, they had people like suspended from the ceiling and shit. And and even um, Wade in his little van. At least the van part existed in the book. You know, he's got the little track treadmill kind of thing. So there's definitely like a tier of class when it comes to the VR world, you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's what, and I don't mean to jump on this, but sure. but that's one thing that would have been better if they explored that more so in the movie. Because in the movie with... They only briefly mention Wade, whatever his name is, he's like, oh, I have this kick-ass trackpad and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, I'm now assuming that everybody, like, that's the technology And that's the thing have. is that they only, glance, they only glance at it because if you remember towards the end of the movie... When they're filming, when 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 the Oasis takes over and films him getting the, you know, it's live streaming him getting to the yeah. last Easter egg. Yeah. Everybody's watching it. Well, clearly everybody's standing on the street. Mm-hmm. So how are they? How are they moving around? How are they interacting with the Oasis? Which means clearly there must be ways to do that. And so he has to do a lot of this stuff from his school. He goes to this instant virgin of a planet and goes into a cave, and that's where the first key is. Okay, there is no race. Yeah. There is no. Anything like that. And and if you'll notice, the idea of the race scene was to put all the licensed tie-ins that they could put in into one spot so they wouldn't have to spread them out. I mean, so that's why you have, you know, the Back to the Future car. That's why you have King Kong's, why you have the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. That's why you have the Tron cycle. That's why you have, I mean, all that. So they could put all those things in there, you know, and then they wouldn't have to deal with it. Outside of what Iron Giant, Godzilla, Mechagodzilla, uh, yeah, Mechagodzilla, Gundam, yeah. you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, both old and new. Uh, you know, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, really? they put both. Yeah, both sets of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were in there. So they restructured the entire movie as a way to just get rid of all of it, just to get as much stuff in there as possible. And then again, they move throughout the movie, and there's really no other references. And the idea was that the whole world was. Involved, at least in pop culture-wise, into the 80s. Uh, 70s, 80s, maybe a little bit, very, very, very early 90s. Where where Halibrand, or whatever the heck his name is, grew up, existed, that was his life, that was how he... Is it Holloway? Holloway? 
Halloway, Halloway. Yeah, how about if I just open it up so I can, uh, you know. What was his last name, right? Yeah. Uh, Halliday. Halliday. There you go. James Halliday. And so they don't do that in this movie, clearly. I mean, outside of people knowing what it is, I mean, th- then, that's, then that's how that goes. Everything still exists beyond it. And, and that's fine because in the book, they kind of touch on that aspect of it as well. They also go into the book actually goes into the porn aspect of the Oasis and stuff really? like that. Yeah. I mean, oh, wow. and, and again, not in super ultra graphic detail, but just like people look at porn online. Well, of course, you're going to incorporate that uh, in, into the, into their reality. Sure. And so the idea of the Oasis being a game where you would level a character is constant throughout the whole thing. And credits in the game can be transitioned to money in real life. So you can do farming and certain things that would get you the ability to at least subsist, if not fully exist, in the real world. Which is what leads to the whole thing in the movie where Artemis is upset because her dad was, you know, basically put into indentured servitude and then they would just keep raising the rates so that he could never leave, etc. Except for the fact that in the book... What they do is they have Wade, he actually breaks, he hacks in and then has himself arrested so that he could get in and get all the back end systems and stuff like that so that they could access it later on. And they didn't just make it some stupid fucking overplayed trope of the boss leaves his password on a sticky note. You know, on his chair, on his chair. Yeah, on, I on, mean, on his throne. Yeah, and I mean, it's stuff like that. So when you get to the movie, the movie is it's just this series of vignettes designed to incorporate nostalgia uh, with a very thin veneer of love story slash uh, David versus Goliath kind of aspect. As a result, the movie is, it's not that memorable. I mean, I'm not sorry that I saw it. I clearly give it a three. So, I mean, I like the movie, but I like it more for the nostalgia kick and seeing how they were going to incorporate the plot elements of the book into the movie. And the book itself is also something that is just a one-time read, like, it's fun to read for the nostalgia and for the history of the things that they're into it, but it's very, very limited in terms of the protagonist having to overcome obstacles or difficulties. It's pretty much just, oh yeah, here's a little obstacle and here's how I'm going to defeat it, and yeah, look at that, I go right around it. So, yeah, it's kind of... So there were two things going to this movie that I was expecting. The nostalgia kick... And it being classic Spielberg. Now, that was one of their big marketing techniques was utilizing both of those things. Sure. Like in, the, in the trailer. Iron, ooh, the cult classic Iron Giant. The Iron Giant. So all people like me, I love the Iron Giant. Right. And I, uh, I saw it in the theater. And I remember that theater going experience to this day. And it was wonderful and very depressing. <laughs> one of the one of the handful of times I actually Superman. fucking cried at the end of a movie. Hey, and um, that and that is why Vin Diesel got the part of Groot. I'm just telling you. I oh mean, yeah, you know, so. he's he can put so much behind saying something repetitive over and over again. Right, it's entertaining. But 
that's what I was expecting. That's what the trailers were telling me. And it felt like it was geared towards me. Not necessarily just me, but people like me. You know, sure. I grew up with these movies. So I go into it expecting it to be a nostalgia kick and classic Spielberg. Whatever that means. Classic Spielberg. Which Whimsical. is really... Sadly, it was really more Robert Zemeckis than... Spielberg, yeah, because there was all so of many the Back little, to the Future, all, yeah, 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 even the end credits, the the the, the, the look of it, yeah, the end yeah. credits uh, font and style was Back to the Future and stuff like that. But I will say one thing, Spielberg or not, that this film did well, and this is something that I referenced last week. I was so impressed with the fact that they made a physical break. For the CGI. Now, just as in other, just, just as in, uh, what am I thinking of? Um, Mad Max Fury Road, where they used primarily practical effects with like CGI mats in the background and stuff, um, yeah. so that everything that you're looking at and focusing on for the action becomes real. Yeah, they and, add all the dust and the yeah, colorization. Yeah, they add the dust and the, the colorization back, but yeah. you're, what you're looking at. Always made the case for great practical effects. In this movie, they do the same thing. All of the things that take place outside of the Oasis, very much in the real world. Yes, some CGI mats and stuff. Yes, a little bit of CGI here and there. But when they really want to focus on all the action happening in the Oasis and how it translates, they shift to the Oasis and make it all CGI there. So they give you a plausible way to immerse yourself in their world and blend the CGI to a real world setting. So that I didn't mind the obvious CGI nature of everything and it really helped reinforce the idea of bringing in superhero movies in the future where we're just looking at it as a video game cutscene. Sure. Where the people are wearing the rigs, they got the little camera setups and stuff like that. But we don't but we see a CGI character in a CGI world. Um I I really, really appreciated that in this film and it was so refreshing to be able to sit there and go, yay, they didn't try and blend CGI with reality. Because it, it doesn't look good anymore. I mean, it's just but, so good it's bad. But then watching the movie, it felt like I was watching a cutscene. It did. Because I felt there was some... now in video games are, are stellar. They're, they're amazing. Right. And I, I get it. Like, in the ideology of this movie, you're taking all these pop culture references, they all... Uh, they all are from a digital realm, therefore I can see it look that way. But when it comes to these avatars or these characters interacting with the environment, the, it, like whenever they would, like whenever whenever they go to that club and they go out and they dance around, just how they move, mm-hmm. it looked like a Disney movie. It did, and I and that was why I thought that as much as I enjoyed the CGI, yeah. I was still able to accept that because not all video games are made the same. Sure. And that's kind of a subtle transitional hint to people who read the book because that's actually, that club that they're at is actually a planet in the game. So you would go to various planets or instances and that's how people who don't want to level all the way up and don't want to go and lose all their shit 
just um, go and hang out. Yeah, they just go. They go to safe zones and places where you can just hang out and just yeah. be and do whatever you want. But this thing, but and so that's kind of that style was there. I will say though that some of that kind of bled into Uncanny Valley, especially a lot of close-ups on Parsifal's face and Artemis's face when they would do that as. Much as I believed I was in a video game, I felt that there was still a little bit of Uncanny Valley going on there. Really? And, yeah. Um, See, I, that's one of the technical things that I liked, is that I never did once feel the Uncanny Valley-ness. Mainly because I, I constantly, and I'll talk about this in a second, that I was never fully connected with the movie. In my mind, I just thought, oh, I'm just watching a video game cutscene. It just extended over two hours for sure. the most part. Sure. And in some way it, it works. But like I went in this movie because of the trailer telling me again that you know it's gonna be a nostalgic kick, it's gonna be another Spielberg movie or a classic Spielberg movie. For all that to work, it needs to be more clever. And my biggest issue with this movie is that it's not very clever. Like how difficult is it to sit back and or the most difficult thing is to sit back and go, you know what? We want to talk about all. The, we we need to we need to talk to our lawyers to figure out what all we can get the licenses for, what characters we can get you know we can get the licenses for, and we need to figure out. Okay, well, hmm, how should we place all these characters in this scene and frame? Hmm, and what's the setting going to be? And then you can get any director. It didn't have to be Spielberg to stage these shots or these action scenes. Because nothing really felt Steven Spielberg-y to me. The look of the movie, like the live action stuff, kind of did. It had a really cool film, late that was 80s what I was, look to it, you yeah. know? In, in a color palette, in a way. But, unfor- but at least in my mind, everything that was nostalgic was way too obvious and way too tropey. Like you throw in references to Buckaroo Banzai. What kid? What like? I get it that the Halliday character, like they all look up to this Halliday character. You know that was apparently one of his favorite movies. But I didn't buy this character, this world, being in to all this stuff from the eighties, into all this nostalgic. And pop again, they from the do 80s. a much better job. And that's the thing is that they do a much better job of in the book of explaining how and why people are into it, and then shifting the focus to just Wade sure. and his fellow Gunters, who are the only people left yeah. that are into it. But then, and so it becomes just them and then IOI because obviously corporate reasons, the money and the greed, that's why they're you know, they're vested into it. But from their perspective these are just, you know, five disparate kids. And I mean, it's like Shunto and whatever, the two Asian guys, they actually are in Japan. Like in the book, they don't yeah. ever show up in person because they're in Japan. And apparently Artemis, I heard that she doesn't even, her, the actual human Artemis doesn't even show up until the very end of the book. Apparently. Um, well, like they don't actually meet until. Yeah, they, yeah, because they end up having to travel out to Oregon. See, he's in Oklahoma City. And they don't, he doesn't end up meeting H until towards about the last third of the book. And then they end up traveling out to uh, whoever Simon Pegg played in the movie to his place in Oregon. Yeah. And then that's where they all end up. And that's where like the finale takes yeah. place when they go into the, the Oasis. Um, but like even the jokes, like even the I'm a kid, I'm 11 years old. What, you know, what, if I, if, do I have to spell out I'm 11 years old so people make me die first? 
just like all the little jokes to me weren't ever clever. They were obvious and it wasn't really anything Spielberg would have even done in the in the 80s. Because you look at Short Fry, or not Short Fry, Short Round from Temple of Doom. He was funny because he was a kid, but he played his dialogue, played a part of the story. He wasn't just the sidekick. There was some heart to this kid that worked well with with the movie. For me, Ready Player One needed more of its own heart and more of its own soul and more of its own character. Other than just relying on this nostalgia and, and what the, Spielberg used the to be. The book does a lot of the same thing. And that's oh, the I'm thing sure. is that yeah. the book does a lot of that stuff too. That's why I say it's fun for the nostalgia and the history. Like, Klein definitely knew his shit when he was writing this stuff. And he's one of the writers of the film as well. Um, He's writing a sequel to Ready Player One, apparently. Yes, he is. And it was confirmed for the book, not necessarily the movie yet. And and that's fine. Much like the movie isn't anything more than a nostalgia kick, it's just not that deep, you know? Well, see, Um, that's what I'm saying. Even for me, it wasn't really... Other than maybe a reference kick. But when it comes to nostalgia, nostalgia has to hit you, you know, down here. Absolutely. Like, in your heart. You know, to take you back to that place. And with just references... That doesn't really take you back to a moment in time. Well, no, it's not just you know? that, though. But, but you... Okay, so, for example, you referenced the 11-year-old line, you know, that got the biggest laugh in the theater. I mean... Well, it could so, have been... Yeah, I mean, it could have been maybe but, my But I went great. with I went with a buddy of mine, and he's 21... I think. Yeah. And he laughed at that kind of stuff. But and it, he it's didn't funny. and he didn't he didn't know half the references in the movie, yeah. but he loved it. He thought it was a great movie. He couldn't wait. He was going to go grab his sister and her boyfriend and they were going to go back and go see it again. But that's the only thing that kid had gone other than doing that kung fu move on that one dude who got in the van. He all he talked about was being 11 years old and that's Well, he also only had like six lines in the movie. So, exactly, but it was you know. but it was there specifically for that. All the this nostalgic for me was references. Right. And that's all they were. Now, I mean, I still gave the movie a 3, so I still enjoyed it, but and I mentioned earlier that the entire movie, I was aware I was in a theater. Whereas if you're watching a Spielberg movie like Indiana Jones or something, even even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I mean, at times, at moments, it definitely felt like classic Indiana Jones. The style, the feel of it, the music, you know, the great, the spectacle of it. Right. But you know, granted, it's not a great movie. With this movie, I saw like the outlying layers of the movie theater. I was aware I was in a you know sitting next to all these people. Sure. So that was my big thing about this movie, is that it was solely a marketing technique to get people like you, me, anybody that's played video games for, you know, since the 80s, who knew what Atari was, who went and saw Jurassic Park in the early 90s, uh, or Indiana Jones in the 80s, just to get those people to come back and come and see this movie, to see those characters or see those elements on screen. And when it comes down to it, was it really worth it? I'm going to say no. Was it all worth it for you? Oh, no. Same. I 100% agree. We we definitely agree for slightly different reasons. But we sure. both come to the same conclusion, which is it's it's a fun reference kick. I did enjoy... I didn't feel nostalgic, but I enjoyed the nostalgia. Yeah. Um, I liked the look and feel of the movie, but it's a very thin movie. The car and, chase at the beginning is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, you the know, battle sucks at the end of it. Yes, the battle is lame. And again, the battle... 
And that's and that's something that I wish because of the way they chose to tell the movie, the the story in the movie, it's so vast. I mean, it's not the same story. They hit the same plot points, but they tell the story completely differently. Yeah. Which I don't mind so much um, because I already knew going in that there was no way they could make the movie like the book. And so half the interest for me was to see what they were going to do to tell the story. But again, because of the choices they made in the money aspect and what kind of references can we get, they weren't able to tell the story. There wasn't a real reason for all these people to come and have this big battle. And the battle's really cool because of the way they get the battle to happen. It's not just Wade makes some emotional speech. Because remember... This story is focusing on all the gunters left in the world. Well, that's still like, you know, two or three million people, you know, out of eight billion. Sure. So that's still quite a lot of people to go up against one company. And the way that these people decide to do it is very much like in an EVE Online state because you're risking it all. And so these big clans do end up deciding to come and fight. And so it makes for a really cool battle. Now... At the end of the day, like you, I still say I like the references. I didn't really feel that nostalgic. I still enjoyed the nostalgia. And I like the movie, but I'll never watch it again. I, I take that back. I won't say never because probably by the time it rolls around on Blu-ray, the kids might want to watch it and I may or may not sit down and see it. Will I buy it? No. Do I have any desire to take anybody else or go back and see it? No. But I'm glad I saw it. And I liked it, so that's where I that's and that's why I gave it a three. That's why I ultimately gave it a three. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much about this movie that watching it, I was like, so you have all these kid, all these people in VR in the middle of a fucking city, in the middle of streets. Mm -hmm. I mean, traffic, cars, even the bad IO whatever people can run these fuckers over. And yet they're 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 in their in the VR fighting these battles in the middle of, and so that my big issue was that Spielberg failed absolutely failed in creating a base to understand the need of this virtual reality that life on Earth of what I've heard of the book from the book apparently life on Earth in real life is just so damn depressing for a lot of people that everything now relies on technology to escape. Right. And so you have all these different people in the lower classes. They go into this VR world to become somebody who they have no chance of becoming. And that's the thing is that, again, it's dystopian by choice, not by circumstance. These people have decided that instead of trying to make the world a better place or actually risk it all and reshape the world and help you know, recover what is potentially being lost, the people just give up. And delve into their screens even more. And that's and delve absolutely in. fascinating. Yeah. And so you get that aspect. But again, because they're trying to get people to understand what's happening so fast, they just gloss over all they do. that. They completely gloss over. Which is also why they put it all in Columbus, Ohio. They, they make the whole movie take place in that one city. When in the book, again, it's partly in Columbus, partly in Oklahoma City, partly in Oregon. Because they make a point of showing what's happening between the cities and, and how people have to get to places and stuff like that. Things that would have made for good storytelling in the movie to help 
give you things that are overarching, to help give you a reason why. And I think, too, it would have also been good to help limit the amount of time we spend in the Oasis, even in the film. As much as I enjoyed that they split those things up to keep the live filmmaking live and the CGI into the Oasis, which I still applaud, and I hope that that, they, that we build on that and it moves forward in the industry, it needed to have more real world in it. It needed to have a lot more real world in it. and A strong... Well, a strong real world. world. Yeah. But I think if they had done that, they would have been able to pull more of that from the sure. book. Um, and, and I think the screenplay really suffers because they gloss over so much just to get everything in the old. You know, and I like the idea of there being this, the contrast between the reality and the virtual world. But then there's going to be hints of the real world in the virtual reality because, you know, if we go, if you and I go in the virtual reality, we're going to be bring pieces of the world, real world into the virtual reality, which would have been something interesting that we would have seen in a classic Spielberg movie where the kid has a teacher and the teacher acts one way in the real world, runs into that teacher in the virtual reality world, and yeah, he's a different character, takes on a different lifestyle, but it's still that teacher from the with the same right. kind of quirks and, and stuff. And they do make a point of having your anonymity be something of importance in there. That's why, like, in the dance club scene, when Wade says, "I'm," you know, as Parzival, right, he says, my middle name is Wade, and Artemis is like, what the hell are you doing? You can't yeah. just tell, you know. So that aspect of it is true. And so, in point of fact, would you know it was your teacher? And that's, again, something that translates into the real-world aspect of the novel. Because, for instance, at one point, Wade needs to... He's on his way somewhere in the real world and he has to use a rig to set up some things in the Oasis. And so he literally goes to a VR center and they have, you know, basic, here's some goggles and gloves all the way up to like that fucking chair thing that the CEO guy is using in the, yeah. in the movie. Yeah. And they have bays where you can rent, you know, however much you're willing to spend. And your experience is, of course, better as you go up. He has to go there, and then he gets the really nice bay and stuff like that, and there's reasons for that, whatever. Again, it would allow for people to see more about what's going on in the real world. Uh, it's just would have been a great exploration. And so, and so even for as you know, thin as the book is in that aspect as well, it still does a good job of at least giving you the real world versus the Oasis. Yeah. Last couple things. Biggest surprise of the movie. I enjoyed liking more than I thought based on the trailer. Mark Rylance as the... the uh, as Halloway? Yeah, the shy, closeted tech, entre you know, the tech mm -hmm. guy. Nailed it. I thought he was fantastic. In the trailer, I thought, oh, great, he's playing another weird-ass fucking character. <laughs> but he's actually pretty good. And I really liked Olivia Cook. In fact, I thought Olivia Cook as Artemis was way more interesting than sh I think sh Taylor Sheridan the as Wade as the, the main Ta guy. Yeah, Ty, 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 Tyler, Ty, Ty, Ty Sheridan. Yeah, yeah, Ty Sheridan. I thought that was way more interesting. Um, but then, lastly, the last thing I wanted to touch on, I also thought maybe this falls into what we were talking about last week with the lack of audience attendance and. 3D not being a profit or whatever mm. is that to me it felt like that this movie was made specifically to make money than to create something not necessarily artistic but to create something to 
to take cinema to the next level, you know, to take it up a rung or so. Absolutely, yeah. And again, I think that's why the movie is more of a once-off, uh, or more of a one-off, because... You know, I, I, you know, it's like what we talked about at the beginning of the last episode. I, I am one of those people who lived analog, right? If you were born between like 70, I think it's 76 and 82, you literally fit into this micro generation of people who experience the entirety of the analog existence and the workaround into the growing up and just naturally having the digital age. Sure. And so. I am literally the target for this film because I will remember everything. I will remember playing Atari, you know, playing the original ColecoVision, playing uh, the Nintendo and watching all those movies and growing into seeing all the cool stuff that happened. Um, So this is definitely, you know, for me. And the movie doesn't feel nostalgic though i enjoyed the nostalgia and do you think halliday is alive still or do you think because remember in the movie he's playing with a coin or something when yeah he's dead but do you think his his in some way his avatar is alive in the like his own being avatar is alive in the oasis i'm sure it is yeah sure i would say yeah and i would even go so far as to say that they open a door in the in the movie to have his consciousness be you know like somehow he managed to get his entire consciousness into the oasis but is that something they play on later i don't know are they going to go lawnmower man with it who knows yeah yeah they keep but, all that up in the air for no reason at all yeah. it's like just in the come book out, in the yeah. book he's 100% dead he is yeah, yeah. 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 so and it's the same thing with simon pegg's character it's like, so you're saying that you spend most of your time in the Oasis, Simon Pegg's character, old Simon Pegg character, as the robot museum curator of the former dead boss of yours that screwed you over. Right. You're Which just specifically so funny there. Because, again, they were trying to figure out in a the way movie, to of have course. that. Yeah. yeah. They were try- because they go out, because Simon Pegg's character is the guy they go to at the end of the book in Oregon. He's the one who helps them and at least gets them set up, you know, to be able to take on IOI. And in the book, Wade accidentally goes down the wrong rabbit hole. He's like, oh, I know why I, you know, he keeps going back to this particular Pac-Man game in this one particular arcade. And he keeps going there and he's like, this is the clue. This is the clue that I need. This is where the, the second or third key is, right? And so... He goes there and he beats the Pac-Man game, the arcade game. Gets to the 257 screen kill screen, and then he's, and then nothing happens. He's like, "What the heck?" And then and then all of a sudden the quarter appears in his inventory, and that's how he gets the quarter, which is his extra okay. life. Yeah. And so instead of doing that, now they just create this weird plot hole. And it's like it was, as soon as he flipped the coin to him in the movie, I'm like. Okay, this has got to be somebody who's going to be important later on because there's no reason for this to happen, you know. Yeah. Uh, for this exchange to happen the way that it happens in the movie. So, yeah, I, I, you know, again, I, I, I'm glad at the end of the day, glad I saw it. Wouldn't see it again. Wait for the Amazon like miniseries. 
Yes. If, if you're so inclined to, that's uh, probably going to happen in 15 years. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Five years. Something like that. Uh, so three, 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 all across the board. That Ready is one. right. Uh, yeah. So then I guess we'll uh, be done with uh, the movie for this week. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, then, uh, let's see. So our bonus segment for next week uh, is just going to be news. And then our films for next week will be A Quiet Place, Chappaquiddick, and Rampage. Wait, maybe let's, let's leave Rampage off and add Isle of Dogs. Since... If I had to choose, I would not choose Isle of Dogs. Really? I saw the trailers. I saw every single trailer for that movie. It's just not doing it for me. I just absolutely do not want to see that movie. But what if I told you that I guarantee you it's going to get nominated for Best Animated Film? I can watch it in January. <laughs> oh, but I, it's, be, it's going to be so, it'd be so interesting to talk about. Uh, uh, fine. I guess then A Quiet Place, Chappaquiddick, and Isle of Dogs will be next week's movies. And then I guess we're down to the spiel, right? Spiel on! Hey, Rex! Rex! What did you say to him? I told him his wife was a dyke. No! Yeah! <laughs> Fuck. Jesus Christ, no wonder he flipped his leg. Anybody call my old lady a dyke, I'd go fucking bananas. His wife is a dyke. Listening to as always has been brought to us by Music Partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com. Both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can of course comment where that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Ty Sheridan, I get to say this. I'd say James Dean is someone that's really inspired me. Just the fact that he did only three movies before he died at such a young age, and yet everyone knows who he is. It really blows my mind. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. (coughs) Oh my god. You should leave that in. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>